I'm very happy to introduce a very special guest for me today, Dr. Mona Delahook has more than 30 years experience helping parents and families of children with behavioral, emotional and learning differences. I've read your book, Beyond Behaviors. It helped me understand so much about my parenting style and the way I look at behavior. <laughs> so Dr. Mona, could you tell us more about your journey and what brought you into helping families? Oh, sure, Donna, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm, it's really wonderful to meet you. My journey began um, many years ago, <laughs> decades ago. Uh, I always wanted to be a psychologist, so I was interested in mental health. So very early on, I um, became a psychologist, got my doctorate in psychology, and practiced for about a decade. Um, when I, I came upon some you know, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. And then I had my own children after that. And then it really, real, you know, I realized something was kind of missing in my training. And that was early development, like how humans develop social and emotional development isn't usually covered in a graduate degree in psychology, believe it or not. That is more in a subspecialty. Um, and People like occupational therapists and um, physical therapists oftentimes know more about development than mental health folks. So long story short, I decided to specialize in development. And so I took about five years off. That's when I had uh, training in DIR, a couple certificates in um, infant mental health. And five years later, I reopened my practice with a focus on prevention, number one, um, and got into the world of neurodiversity, seeing a lot of children um, who were diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and then um, became very interested in behavioral challenges. And so that became a subspecialty. And the, you know, then I just loved it and I've been working and I finally wrote a couple books and um, those are, are apparently helping a lot of people. So it's just a, a journey of discovery. And can you tell us more about the polyvagal theory and what's so revolutionary about it? Yes, yes. So I was so lucky. About um, 25 years ago, oh. I, I know, isn't it crazy? <laughs> I still can't believe it. That went that quickly, but yeah. So enjoy your every day of your life. But anyway, about 25 years ago, uh, my friend and colleague had twins that were, um, one of them had uh, difficulty. He had um, growth retardation in utero. So she was a trail, is a trailblazer, Connie Lillis. And she had a consult with someone, a scientist named Dr. Stephen Porges. I had never heard of him before that, but she said, she told me that this is um, someone, a researcher who is re researching the autonomic nervous system. And her little boy, her baby, her baby twin was having difficulty regulating his physiology, regulating his state. And he needed to gain weight and he was crying and fussing. And she was an infant mental health specialist, but she couldn't help him. So she studied the polyvagal theory. And I did as well, because we were in a study group together. And I got to know the underlying um, 
physiology of stress in the human body. And once I did that, so that's what the polyvagal theory really is. It's a theory of the evolutionary history of how human beings manage being human, right? Being safe, feeling safe, keeping your, uh, your, your body and brain working has to do with our subconscious processes. And guess what? This was not taught in my training. And so once I added the subconscious process to my work with children, oh my gosh, they got better quicker. Parents were happier. Everyone felt more hope and compassion. And it just took off as a, a new way of looking at how we can help families. And how does actually flow time principle tie up with the polyvagal theory? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. That's a great question. Because, um, you know, again, around 25 or 30, maybe over 30 years ago, two uh, pioneers in the infant mental health field, Dr. Serena Weeder, who's my um, mentor, and Dr. Stanley Greenspan, whom I also had the privilege of meeting many times, um, developed uh, a, uh, a theory which is known as the DIR theory, developmental uh, individual differences and relationship based, which tied together development with individual differences. And again, I, uh, I found DIR because I was in, in two infant mental health specialization programs. And DIR, unfortunately, I think got pegged as either infant mental health or autism treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't really go into general psychology. And that's what I'm hoping to, you know, mm-hmm. introduce the world to these two people because they really changed the way we view um, early intervention, support for children, helping a child if they seem to have their, their development is challenged. Mm-hmm. So this DIR theory was, is very central to my work. And I think the, what, I have, what I have added in Beyond Behaviors approach is um, more on the autonomic nervous system. So I go specifically into the three states of the nervous system as mm-hmm. a more precise guide. DIR talks about uh, regulation of, of uh, regulation and attention which is amazing, but I think I give some more specifics and I added this polyvagal theory uh, to that along with a very deep respect for getting to know each child. And, um, but I love the, I love the um, floor time approach. And I, the other thing I love about it so much is that it's strength-based. It's not deficit-based, no. it's strength-based. and that's where we need to go. Right now, you go to some, some places in the world, you go to early intervention, and you're told all the things that are wrong with your child's development, yes. or all the things they're not doing. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, flow time helped me like be a better parent, you know, at the beginning, you know, I didn't know how to connect with my child I bought what my friends bought all kinds of flashy toys and it just didn't work for me and I didn't know how to connect with my child so oh that is so beautiful so it helped you connect in a new way or in a different way a more intimate way 
it helped me connect in all ways because, you know, my boy who had sensory difficulties would just be fascinated on a fleshy toy and just press it and press it. And, you know, that I was a young parent and that's what I thought I should do, but it was, of course, wrong. So <laughs> That's amazing. How did you find the, the uh, floor time approach? How did you come about it? Someone recommended it to me and I just started working with a therapist and it just changed our lives. And That's so great. Wow. And what would you say the risk of ignoring the child's need when he or she are in the blue path? Mm. Yeah, so um, in the blue pathway, there is a starting to be a very serious sense of disconnection from others. And it's, it's a more desperate nervous system state than even the fight or flight um, nervous system, which is the sympathetic nervous system where a child is yelling and angry or an adult, right? Um, activated and upset. At least that, that one is, is mobilizing, right? It's mobilizing against threat and it's trying to feel safe again, trying to feel calm. In the blue pathway where we have behaviors that are shut down, um, the child or the adult is not having any engagement with humans. They don't want to, they are, they are blue. It might look like depression. It's very significantly, um, you know, it takes up a lot of energy of your system to be that um, checked out. It's very, serious. So we, the opposite of what we want to do is ignore the child. What we want to do is engage the social engagement system, which I call the green pathway because it's easier to remember than ventral vagal. But we want to have social engagement, help the child feel hopeful again. And so we want to go, we don't want to ignore, we really want to have interactions that are specifically um, customized to that particular child's nervous system. So there's no one way to engage a child. It's really what works with that child's multiple sensory systems. Mm -hmm. And um, what would be the differences between the bottom-up approaches? Yes. So we have, most people, most parents don't really know, and many, some professionals don't really aren't really aware of these categories. So we can think of the categories or the context uh, that we have bottom up and top down interventions. So what would be an example of a top down intervention? A top down intervention is talking to a child, reasoning a, with a child, showing a child flashcards, um, uh, basically where we are using the, the, using our language and trying to engage our child, the child in a thoughtful conversation. Uh, that is a top-down approach. And when children are ready for it, it's amazing. It's the, it's the foundation of mental health. We talk about what our feelings and what's going on inside. It's fantastic. However, many children and many adults aren't yet able to talk about 
or symbolize their emotions, their feelings. And we assume they are, and which also means we're assuming that they can control their emotions and behaviors. And many children can't, it's a developmental process. So it's called the expectation gap. We expect more than children can give us. And what they really need first is a bottom up approach. And so an example of a bottom-up approach would be um, maybe some of the things they do, uh, you can do on a playground, swinging a child, playing with a child, hugging a child. It doesn't involve their reasoning with their upper part of their brain, it involves being with their body. Um, it might be a massage, it might be um, doing some wonderful breathing together or listening to music. So that is going through different portals. It's not the, the cognitive portal, but the yes. portal of the body. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, a lot of sense. For example, we've been working a lot on the foundation, like primitive reflexes and working on that kind of uh, intervention in order to get to higher levels of uh, cognition. That's fantastic. And that's the basis again of DIR and floor time. It's you work on these foundational levels such as primitive reflexes um, that help build the structure for the child's future social and emotional development. Exactly. And um, what's about sense of safety versus threat? How to make a child feel safe in their own environment? Mm. Yes, and it sounds simple, right? It's like, well, my child is safe. They, you know, they know they're safe and they are in a good classroom with a good teacher or they know their home is safe with, with me and, and, you know, their family. But we're really not talking about generic safety. Um, I'm talking about the subjective perception of safety. And that's quite different than being in a safe place. So it's, um, it's very individually processed. So here's an example of a child being in a classroom that is a great classroom, great teacher, it's a safe school, etc. But they are having these red zone behaviors, they are um, throwing things off their desk or hitting their peers. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows why everyone's thinking, well, this is a safe place. It's a good teacher. But unbeknownst to everybody, the child has multiple sensory processing overreactivities mm -hmm. that is causing his nervous system or her nervous system to not feel safe. And that's called experiencing the neuroception of threat. It's subconscious. And so it's invisible. And in, in my book, Beyond Behaviors, I describe these sources as the hidden part of the iceberg underneath the waterline that it's invisible, you can't see it. So you have to go digging, you know, have to go swimming underneath there and find out why is this child having stress behaviors that are caused by the nervous system not feeling safe, not the brain by itself, but the whole body not feeling safe. Exactly. And yeah. um, how can we change the way the parents look at the child's behavior in a different light other than good or bad? 
Oh, and well, first of all, let's acknowledge that throughout throughout the world, we we think of behaviors as good or bad. You know, compliant or non-compliant. You know, preferred or non-preferred. Let's just say, compassionately, that's how I was raised and Mm -hmm. for many years that's how I raised my own own children it was like I'm going to focus on the behavior and make sure that they have good behaviors so (laughs) if for any parents who are listening I have please this is a no blame no shame this is we're all in this together and our cult in our cultural DNA we really look at behaviors as either good or bad but the story is much more complicated than that and what I have found over 30 years of clinical work and in the research that I've done that supports um, the, this from a theoretical perspective, from the polyvagal theory and from the theory of constructed emotions and other scientific theories is that behaviors are either safety-based or threat-based. And if a child is having what we would think of as bad behaviors, air quote on bad, it's really a signal. And especially if they're persistent, you know, if these are really happening a lot and they're very severe, this is a signal of a threat-based behavior, not an intentional bad behavior. The child's not trying to be bad or to get something. The child is experiencing stress in their body. And it's a whole new way of looking at behaviors. Uh, we call it a paradigm shift or a lens shift, like you shift the lens of the camera. Mm-hmm. And how can parents help old children to get high, to higher emotional stages? Well, the best, the best way to help your child move up to these higher emotional stages where they can talk to you about your feel, their feelings. I mean, isn't this kind of what we want as our children get older and turn into teenagers and adults <laughs> that they can come to us and say, you know, mom, dad, um, I need to talk to you about something. I have a problem. That is the highest compliment to a parent, right? Because you will be there for them. You are their safe harbor. What can you do? Well, focus on the relationship first. Focus on joyful interactions starting from whenever you can. If your child is 10, that's fine, start at 10. If they're 15, start there. If they're a newborn, start there. There's, the window never closes to build a strong relationship with your child. So I'd have to say in the DIR um, uh, you know, community, we really believe that play is the foundation of healthy development across the lifespan. So play as much as possible according to your child's interest and your own interest because you want to have fun too. And um, prioritize these kind of interactions that in a DIR speak is known as back and forth. Think of it as a tennis game. You know, the child does something, you do something. Child does something, you do something back. Mm-hmm. And tennis or ping pong is such a fun game. You just do it with your communication with each other. And it usually leads to social problem solving and to play. Joy leads the way. And as simple as it sounds, it's kind of hard, especially this past year and a half for our world. Oh my gosh. I just feel even kind of, 
guilty mentioning that we should be joyful because I am aware of how many people are still suffering. And if you are still suffering, if you're listening to this and you're still suffering, my heart goes out to you. And if there's not enough energy to play with your child, that's okay too. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just accept yourself where you're at. Have a lot of self-compassion and get through the day, day by day. Hopefully things will start to improve for our world. And my last question would be, how would you recommend for parents when the child is in a stress response, fight or flight? What should they do? Yes. So when they are in that state that we all dread, you know, screaming, calling you names, almost maybe hitting you, it's very painful, right? It's as a parent, it's very distressing. So what do you do? The, the first thing we can do is remember that it's not about you. It's about the child's nervous system. So that might help you not to try to not take it as personally as it feels because it feels, believe me, I know it feels like such an injury, but remember that the child is in a stressed state and that it's a stress behavior. And the best thing you can do is stay calm yourself. So do whatever you need to do to stay calm. If that means making sure the child is safe and then taking a few moments away, if it's possible, right? Taking a deep breath, getting a glass of water, going to the bathroom, whatever, you know, if, if you can, of course, keeping the child safe, um, take a moment, be calm, and then figure out the best way to calm your child's nervous system so that they can come back and problem solve with you again. And that for some children, that might mean not saying anything at all, but just letting them know you're here, you're witnessing their suffering. Mm -hmm. And you, with your body language, you just like show them, oh, honey, I, I see you. I'm sorry you're in pain. How can I help? And uh, on an individual basis. So I, I talk about how to create, um, you know, spreadsheets and all that in the book, because it's a little complicated. You have to know your child. It's not a one size fits all, but the main pathway is helping is staying calm yourself and then helping calm your child's nervous system when they're in the red um, activated state. And where can people find your book, your website? Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so my website is uh, monadelahook.com and um, my book Beyond Behaviors is available in, in the UK at um, Amazon UK and bookstores. It's published yeah. by Hashem. Um, UK. And yeah, it's, I think it's been translated or in the process of being translated into about six languages. So oh, I'm wow. grateful, very grateful for the response. It seems to be giving parents hope. Yeah, it should be. Thank also, you. I mean, there's an audio version, which also is. Yes, great. there's an audio version and it's, it's long, <laughs> but yes. you know, if you use it in the car, you can, you can use a week of, uh, of uh, errands and listen to it in the car. <laughs> yeah. And do you offer any, any courses online or? Yes, we, I have one course right now. It's a continuing education course for um, 
providers, but also for parents, you know, it's a, it kind of outlines the basic ideas of beyond behaviors. And um, that is, you can find that link on my website, or I'm happy to provide it to anyone who's interested. And I just recorded a second how-to um, kind of uh, masterclass. And in it, I have role plays and I, I show, show how to do it. That'll be released, I believe, in October. Ah, great. It will be yeah. a great resource. Dr. Mono, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure and a dream come true for me. Oh, it is a joy to know you. And thank you so much for uh, having me on.